Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I'm glad you're still here. I am recording this on my birthday in between mowing the lawn and Nikki coming over so that we can have lunch together for the first time in many, many, many months. Um, so yay for seeing best friends, right? Anyway, today we have the second play by Terrence, which is really the first because I didn't catch that. This play came before the first one until um, I was already writing the last comedy episode. Did you follow that? I'm not sure I did. I should have done Hakira second. That's what I'm saying. Because Andrea is one year older than Hakira, but you'll see Hakira listed last because of the whole three performances thing. So anyway, today we have Andrea, which technically is the oldest play by Terence. It premiered in 166 BCE. Hikira, which we already covered, attempted its first premiere in 165 BCE. So you can see how I might have missed which one should have come first. Andrea translates to the woman from Andros or the girl from Andros. And which translation of the title probably depends on which character you consider to be the individual who came from Andros. I am working from the Palmer Bovee translation. It was originally published in 1974, so almost within my lifetime. You should be able to find an older translation in the public domain. Um, I didn't look at whose is on Perseus, but I'm guessing it's Henry Thomas Riley. Perfectly serviceable and the right price. I did buy the complete works of Terence once I got my new job, which is why my translation is not in the public domain. But I digress. Andrea is based on a play by Menander. As I already noted, it premiered in 166 BCE, and it has many of the hallmarks of what we've come to expect from Roman comedy. Our characters include Pamphilus, our love-struck young man, Glycerium, the object of his affection, his father, Simo, and his BFF, Carinus. Our clever slave is Davus, and he belongs to Simo, so Simo and Pamphilus, obviously. Simo also has a freedman named Socia, and Socia's slave is Dromo. I will come back to Simo and Socia in a minute. Carinus is in love with Philomena, the unseen daughter of Cremes. Biria belongs to Carinus, and Mysis belongs to Glycerium. And finally, we have Crito, a man from Andros, and Canthera, the local midwife. Now, back to Simo and Socia. This is a relationship that I don't think I've talked much about um, in ancient Rome. A freedman means just what you would think. Socia once belonged to Simo. He's been freed. But that's not the end of their relationship. Because ancient Rome worked on a patronage system, freed slaves frequently became clients of their former owners. So they were no longer enslaved, but they still had a similar patron-client relationship to, you know, that they had previously as the slave-master relationship. So the, the pre-existing relationship, that power dynamic, stays in place except for the fact that freedmen were you know free so they could go and earn their living and 
buy property and vote and they could also own their own slaves which is how Socia owns a slave um yeah so there there you go that's something important to understand about culture and society in Rome that is reflected sometimes in Roman comedy the set is the usual arrangement of left and right exits to the forum and to the harbor. And two of the three upstage doors are used. One is Simo's house and the other is Glycerium's house. I think that's the background that we need. So we'll take a short break before going through the plot. The play opens with a prologue, originally delivered by the director, who just so happened to be the most famous actor at the time. I was trying to come up with who that would be today, but I'm not sure if there's one person who really fits that mold anymore. I mean, anyway, he scoffs at the idea of prologues in general and the waste of time they are to write, since all they do is explain the plot of the play, which is to come, and that's just silly because what is the point of the play? Then he goes on to tell us that Menander wrote two plays, The Girl from Andros and The Girl from Parenthos. And if you've seen one, you've seen them both. So Terence has combined them together to create this play, The Girl from Andros. And there's nothing wrong with that, and the critics can just shut up about it. And now, if you could please be quiet so that you can decide if a play by Terence should be watched through or booed off the stage. And with that, the prologue exits. I do love that comment, given what happens with Hikira the following year. Anyway, and you already know that because we've already gone over it. Simo and Socia enter. Simo explains the backstory of the plot. You see, Simo had planned a marriage between his son, Pamphilus, and the daughter of his friend, Cremes. Pamphilus always seemed like such a nice young man that Cremes himself proposed the marriage. But, you know, you know that house next door? Well, there was this woman who came from Andros. Her name was Crisis, or Croesus. And at first, she was all good and proper and earned her living as a weaver, but then she learned she could make more money if she opened a gentleman's club at her house instead. And sure, Pamphilus would frequent the establishment, but everyone always reported that he behaved most properly while there, never availing himself of the services offered by Croesus. So, Simo agreed to the marriage, and the wedding was supposed to be today, but now Simo doesn't know what to do. Because, you see, the woman from Andros, Chrysos, yeah, she died, and she had a magnificent funeral. All of her customers went, including, of course, Pamphilus. And as they were about to light the pyre, this young woman, Chrysos' sister, apparently, got a little too close, and Pamphilus pulled her back and held her most tenderly as she cried. And it's clear to Simo that Pamphilus may never have had eyes for Croesus, but he clearly had some sort of a relationship with this sister. And now Pamphilus doesn't want to marry Cremes' daughter. Simo is particularly concerned that Davus, their clever slave, is going to scheme to help Pamphilus get his way. Simo tells Socia that he needs to talk to Cremes and needs Socia's help to make it look like nothing is wrong and the wedding is still on. Socia exits to spy on Pamphilus. Davos enters. He tells the, he talks to the audience, unaware that Simo is hearing everything he says. He's concerned that Simo took the news of Pamphilus' affair so calmly 
too calmly that Simo might have some plot to make the marriage to Creamies' daughter still go forward. Then he realizes that he's not alone on stage. Simo orders Davis to make sure the marriage happens on penalty of flogging or worse. Davis agrees, and Simo exits. Davis tells the audience that he's not sure what to do now, but he'll figure it out. He has to. There's this little problem of the baby. Oh, right. Did no one mention that Glycerium is pregnant? Yes, no one had mentioned that yet. Yeah, Glycerium and Pamphlis are having a baby, and he really wants to marry her. But he can't because she's, well, not exactly a free woman and all. So they've decided to make up a story that she's really a freeborn Athenian and she was shipwrecked off Andros when she was a little girl and everyone died, except for her, of course, and she was adopted by Croesus's father and that's how she became Croesus's sister and came from Andros to Athens. Like, anyone is going to believe that. Davos rolls his eyes and exits to the forum in search of Pamphilus. Nysus enters from Glycerium's house. She is in search of the midwife from Lesbos, who is not the midwife Mysis would recommend, but that's who Glycerium wants, so that's who she'll fetch. She sees Pamphilus coming and hides so that she can eavesdrop. Pamphilus soliloquizes, or so he thinks, about his pending marriage and how he's not sure how to get out of it anymore. Mysis reveals herself and tells him that Glycerium is in labor. Pamphilus vows that he won't abandon her or their baby. He promises Crisis that he'd take care he promised Crisis he'd take care of Glycerium and take care of Glycerium he will. He swears to Mice he swears Mice's to secrecy about his engagement, and she exits to fetch the midwife. Carinus and Beria enter. Carinus has heard that Pamphilus is getting married to Philomena today, and he is pissed because he wants to marry her. Pamphilus assures his friend that he has no desire to marry her and more than anything would like Carinus to marry her instead. He tells Carinus not to listen to Beria, who immediately sets off home. Davos enters. He tells Pamphilus and Carinus that the wedding is off. He knows this because he stopped by Cremes' house and there were no signs of preparation. No wedding decorations, no wedding. Carinus dances a little jig and exits, happily believing that he still has a chance. Once Carinus is gone, Davos warns Pamphilus that things aren't all free and clear. If Pamphilus takes up with Glycerium, his father will still come up with a way to get rid of her. He tells Pamphilus to agree to the marriage to Philomena. You know, with his fingers crossed behind his back. Then he can behave in such a way that Creamies will decide to break the engagement instead. Simo enters to make sure that Davos isn't up to any tricks. And then Biria enters because Carinus has instructed him to spy on Pamphilus for the same reason. Simo orders his son to marry Philomena. In keeping with Davos's plot, Pamphilus agrees and then exits into Simo's house. Biria tells the audience that this is terrible and he must tell Carinus, even though Carinus will likely blame the messenger, and Biria exits. Simo tells Davos that he knows the slave is up to something. Davos feigns ignorance and dodges all of Simo's questions. Mysis and Canthara enter. Canthara is from Lesbos, so they keep calling her Lesbia, which is kind of like call just calling me Michigander instead of Beth, and that's just weird and rude. Names are important, people. Anyway, if you're seeing Lesbia in your text, it's really Canthara, and everyone is just being rude to her because she's not from Athens. 
Simo and Davos eavesdrop on the women's conversation. Mises tells Kanthara that Pamphlus has agreed to acknowledge the baby and the two women exit into Glycerium's house. Simo knows what's up. Clearly, this is all part of Davos's plot. Glycerium isn't really pregnant. It's all a show. Davos legitimately has no clue what Simo is talking about. Kanthara enters from the house, commenting to herself that Glycerium has had a boy. Simo takes this as another sign that it's all a ruse, because why else would the midwife step outside and say this? Davos finally catches on to what Simo is thinking and decides to go along with the misconception. Davos exits into Simo's house. Creamies enters. He's heard that his daughter is still slated to marry Simo's son, which is news to him. They go back and forth for a bit, and Simo explains the plot that Davos has concocted in which Glycerium has pretended to give birth to Pamphilus' son. Creamies is appeased, and the wedding is back on. Davos enters and learns that his plot has once again gone awry. Creamies exits back to his house, and Simo exits into his house to tell Pamphilus the good news, or at least what Simo thinks is good news. Davos bemoans this turn of events. Pamphilus enters in search of Davos. Davos gets him to calm down and starts working on a new plan. Carinus enters. He's furious that Pamphilus is still going to marry Philomena after he promised not to. Pamphilus blames Davos. Davos admits that things have not gone according to his original plan, but he says that he'll fix it. He's not sure how, but he will. Mises enters. She's thrilled to see Pamphilus and tells him about his newborn son. Pamphilus again swears that he won't desert Glycerium, and he exits into her house. Davos convinces Carinus to go home and wait, which he does. Davos then asks Mises to wait for a moment while he runs into the house to fetch the baby. He instructs the maid to take the baby and put it on Simo's doorstep. He can't do it because he has to be able to truthfully say that he didn't. He sees Creamy's coming and leaves Mises with the baby so that he can pretend to be coming from the same direction as Creamy's. Creamy's enters and Davos pretends to enter too. Since Davos hasn't filled her in on the plot, Mises is seriously confused when Davos starts berating her, berating her about leaving the baby on the doorstep, which, of course, he is doing all for show. Over the course of the scene, Davos shouts that, that Glycerium is a free Athenian, so now Pamphilus will have to marry her. Creamies, as planned, overhears everything. He exits into Simo's house to confront him about this new development. Crito enters. He's looking for Croesus's house. He's received word that she died, and as her next of kin, he is her heir. Mises recognizes him and is surprised to see him. He asks if Glycerium has had any luck finding her parents, which, no, she hasn't. Crito sighs. Poor Glycerium. Mises invites him to come in for a visit, and all three exit into Glycerium's house. Creamies and Simo enter. Creamies is pissed that he's been tricked into agreeing to the wedding again. Simo insists that there's nothing to worry about. He knows that this is all a ruse put together by Davos, who then enters from Glycerium's house. Davos is talking to himself about how fortuitous it is that Credo has arrived when he did. Simo and Creamies confront Davos. Davos smugly tells them that he has proof that Glycerium is a citizen. Simo does not take this well and orders Davos to be bound and arrested, which he is. Simo calls for Pamphilus, who enters. Father and son argue extensively before Credo enters and is surprised to see Creamies there. 
It turns out that Credo and Creenies are old friends. Credo gives the long story of how Glycerium was shipwrecked and adopted and came back to Athens. This all sounds vaguely familiar to Creenies, uh, who asks the name of the merchant that the that Glycerium was on the boat. You know, what's the name of that merchant? Fanio, Credo replies. Creenies is shocked. Fania? That was his brother. And he was traveling with his niece. Fania's niece, that is. Creenies' daughter. His other daughter. Creenies' long-lost daughter that we didn't even know existed is none other than Glycerium. And since women are completely interchangeable, he happily agrees that Pamphilus can marry his daughter, just not the one that he'd originally planned on. Pamphilus tells Simo to release Davus. Simo exits to do so. Carinus enters and Pamphilus joyfully tells him that Creamies has two daughters, so they each can marry their loves. Davus enters. Pamphilus praises him and then instructs him to fetch Glycerium so that they can be married. Everyone exits except for Davus, who turns to the audience. He tells them has, that everything has turned out well, wouldn't they agree? And so now is a good time to applaud. And the play ends. Is this story at all familiar to you? (laughs) You're probably a Thornton Wilder fan if it is. Apparently, he wrote his own version of the story called The Woman from Andros. I'm not a huge Thornton Wilder fan, so I learned about his version as I was looking for information about the Terrence play. I do usually include the author when I search, so I, you know, search for Terrence's Andrea. Um, But it is absolutely necessary to search for Terrence's Andrea because otherwise you get a bunch of hits about Wilder. And even then, because Wilder based his book on Terrence's play, you still get a bunch of hits about Thornton Wilder. Um, And what's interesting, although I suppose not shocking, is that Wilder's version is a tragedy. Uh, But this is not a podcast about Thornton Wilder. Someone else would need to do that. I know our town, but that's about it. (laughs) No, this is a podcast about Terrence. This play is confusing to read immediately after Hikira because half the characters have the same names. Uh, But unlike Hikira, with its massive number of awesome women, the women in Andrea are missing. Um, We can debate who exactly is the titular woman from Andros. But it doesn't matter if it's Croesus or Glycerium. We never see either of them. Glycerium has one line when she's in labor, and it's from offstage because obviously she's in labor. We can't show that on a Roman stage. Um, and frankly, I yeah, anyway, the stop there. Crisis, back to Croesus. She's dead by the time the play starts, so obviously she has no lines. We don't do ghosts. Um, this is not this is not a Greek tragedy. We don't do ghosts, right? Philomena is nothing but a plot point. She has a she has a name, which is impressive. At first, when I was writing my summary of characters, I forgot that she actually has a name, which I should have remembered because again, it's the same as one of our characters in Hikira. We also have a pamphlet and a Philomena in Hikira. Menander obviously did not use many different names because those those came from Menander. Terence did not come up with them himself. Um, 
so we have mysis and canthara or canthara uh that's it we have we have two two serving women who spend most of their time just being confused um in the little bit that they're actually on stage which is not much so let's talk about davus instead he is supposed to be our clever slave and usually our clever slave is pretty darn clever davus well he may be clever but his his plans do not go well according to plan we see his cleverness in his ability to improvise not in his ability to mastermind the plot and yes this plot is complicated and I would say it's going to get better as we read the rest of Terrence, but one of my sources notes that this is one of the least complicated of his plays. So yeah, so what do you think? Are you a Thornton Wilder fan? I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts since I'm not at all familiar with his version other than what I've read in prepping for this episode. Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. And you can also find the link to my Patreon there. No pressure. In the next episode, we'll cover Virgil's first Georgic. So get ready for some lovely poetry from Rome's favorite. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.